The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan on News Talk. Stephen Donnelly, the Minister for Health, is with me now, though. Uh, so, Minister, talk me through this uh, announcement: uh, government funding for people undergoing IVF treatment. Thanks, Kieran. It, this is a it's a really important first step. So. What we've announced today, what government agreed this morning was full state funding for one cycle of IVF for eligible couples. This will be coming in from September. It's important to say it's a first step. I believe we will do more and we can talk we can talk about that. But essentially, one in six people in Ireland are affected by fertility issues. Uh, it, for those who embark on a journey of fertility treatment, including IVF, it's a tough journey. It can be a heartbreaking journey. It ends in in total joy, so, some of the time, obviously, when when uh, kids, uh, when 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 it is successful. However, it's not affordable for too many people. It can cost six, seven, eight, nine, ten thousand euro, and for a lot of people, they just don't have access to that money. So, uh, I committed in the budget last year that we would bring it in. We aimed to have it in in September. There has been a vast amount of work. This is a new service we're setting up. Mm. And ultimately where we're moving to is a is a publicly run service. So we have a national centre in Cork next year. They will be doing about 500 IVF cycles. Um, but I wasn't satisfied to wait the, the several years it would take for the HSE to fully scale up. So what I what I committed to doing was using private capacity so that from this September we could we could get as much support to as many couples as possible. And that really is what today is about. Okay. So talk me through the mechanics of that um for people who who want to access IVF after September. And we'll talk about the conditions in a moment that you have to meet, but just the mechanics of access and and who pays and when if they're going to a private clinic from September onwards. This now is part of a new national fertility service and there are three tiers to it. The first is your your GP and the GPs will help with counselling, with investigations, with uh, lifestyle advice in terms of maximising fertility uh, and other things. The GPs can then refer to a regional fertility hub these are six regional hubs we've set up over the last two years. And we believe that they will they'll be able to successfully treat about 50 to 75, 50 to 70% of people. Mm. There'll be people for whom that secondary level of, of support and intervention, medical, surgical, doesn't work. They can then refer on to tertiary care. This is IUI, IVF, uh, initially mainly through private providers. Yeah. Uh, plus the centre in Cork. And then over time, we're going to scale up the HSE. Um, so the secondary care, for some people, the GP, they'll have to pay to see their GP, but obviously more and more people now have GP cards, so that, that would be covered. Um, the secondary care in the regional fertility hubs, that's HSE, that's fully funded by the state. And now the referral to IVF and IUI will be fully funded by the state for eligible couples as well. And so people will not have to pay anything up front and then those private clinics recoup the costs from the state? That's or, right. Or how does it work? Yeah, okay, that's right, okay. Yeah. so you won't need any money up front for this. It's absolutely free at the point of entry yeah. uh, for people to qualify. So let's talk about then the, the, the qualifications. Uh, so there is an age limit. The age limit is 41 for women, 60 for men. Is that right? That's right. We set up an expert group led by the National Women and Infants Programme in the HSE to come back with the clinical recommendations and essentially they looked at 
the current evidence base for how do you do the most good for the most number of people. So they wanted to make sure that the eligibility criteria were for those who had a good, you know, who had the highest chances. They looked around the world. They looked very closely at the UK, other countries in Europe. And so what they came back with were various criteria for uh, women in terms of age. It's those uh, up to and including 40 years of age for men up to 60 uh, body mass index for the woman of 18 and a half to 30. That's very similar to the NHS, Sweden uh, and other countries around the world. Um, ordinarily resident in the state, as you would expect. Um, no living children from existing relationships, at least one uh, of the couple having no living children. A maximum of one previous IVF cycle. So either no or one previous uh, IVF cycle. Okay, so let let me ask then about some of those. So, so the BMI uh, that that limit does exist in in other jurisdictions. Not in all, though. It, it, we had we had someone in a little bit earlier from Therapy Clinic who suggested that an upper limit of up to thirty five was possibly more common. Sweden is eighteen to thirty five. Uh, yeah, Northern Ireland is nineteen to thirty. Scotland is thirty. Uh, sorry, England is 19 to 30, Northern Ireland is 30. There's, there's a really important point here, Kieran, which is people will quite rightly say, what about this group? What about that group? Mm. We're going to keep a very open mind to all of this. This is a first step. And Ireland is behind the curve in terms of providing these services. So, for example, there's there's a group in for donor-assisted IVF who are not yet included. They will be included. I have very strong uh, clinical advice saying we need the legislation passed, we need the new regulations okay. in place. But will they be included? Yes, they will. Is it possible that the BMI will change, that age will change based on new clinical evidence, based on our experience here in mm. Ireland? All of those things are possible. We have to start. We have to start somewhere, and your listeners should really view this as a first step in a process. So, do do people need a diagnosis of 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 disease or of a problem in order to access this? No. Now, I, I'm not a fertility expert, so I, I may yeah, not have this. There was a bit of exactly right. in some of the reporting around today. There was some suggestion. You know, you need a kind of a a specific issue, uh, a, a reason diagnosed on paper from a consultant somewhere suggesting. Others were saying, listen, infertility in and of itself is considered a disease by the WHO. So, so which is it? Typically what what the advice says is uh, there's various criteria. One of those criteria is, you know, it, it, it's known what the fertility issue is and it would be known that IVF would help with that. There would be, it could be a direct referral to IVF. Where it's not known, once other criteria are met, IVF is still possible as a referral option as well. Okay, okay. So you you take the individual doctor's lead uh, uh, on it, who's dealing with this. That's right. So there's there are protocols and criteria given to the doctors, and then they will work with those. The GPs and and those referring in for for IVF will work with those. Uh, That it's available for couples, and as long as one of them has no pre-existing children. Now they're they're not medical conditions, they're social conditions that we've attached to it, aren't they? They are, yeah. Why? And, and and you see different versions of this in different countries around Europe as well. In order to try and do the most amount of good with a finite amount of resource, a finite amount of funding and a finite amount of ability in the public and the private sector to provide IVF. And the advice into me, which I've accepted, I've brought to government and recommended and government has accepted, is... Those most in need of IVF are those who may have no child, no mm. living child, or in the couple that that couple do, you know, that couple do not have, have a living child. So 
look, there is no right answer to this. Mm. Uh, this is about trying to do the best, do, do the most amount of good for, for the most amount of people. Can I ask you to, to pop on the headphones? Because earlier I spoke to um, Stephanie McNamara, who, who went through IVF herself, and here's what she had to say about those uh, social conditions. I mean, it would, there's no other health condition in the world where we would look at somebody and say, OK, say you have, for example, Crohn's disease. I'm not giving you this infusion of medication today because your bowels worked perfectly last year. That wouldn't happen. So why are we saying you're infertile now, but you weren't a year ago, so you don't qualify for this treatment? Mm. It doesn't make sense. And because infertility is a condition, it shouldn't in and of itself, it shouldn't be there. That shouldn't matter. There has to be equity in everything that we do, in particular with our health service. If we are giving people access to the services they need, it needs to be equitable. We We need to be giving them the same access. So if you need a little bit of extra support to get that service, you should be given it. Now, that was um, Stephanie. We spoke to her earlier. Uh, she was describing her own situation. So she had endometriosis, uh, wasn't expected to, to be able to fall pregnant naturally. Uh, she happened to do so. Then at four ectopic pregnancies and was told if you need another child, you have to go down the IVF route. Now, she's very lucky. She said that herself, that they were successful mm. on their IVF journey. She wouldn't qualify because they already have a daughter. That's right. And the reason she wouldn't qualify is because this is a finite resource and there are people who have no children who are looking for that same IVF cycle. And when you have a finite resource, and this is what the expert group oh, looked so what's, at. What's finite? The, the money that it costs or finite the doctors that are available? Both. So the number of cycles that the combined public and private sector can do next year, right? They, they can only scale to a certain amount. And obviously the amount of money we're putting in. So all of these things are finite. And no more than a doctor uh, will prioritise patients and say, well, patient A is more urgent than patient B. So I'm going to give the knee operation or the PIP operation to patient A first. There is a, the, the clinical view was that if we have two, two couples and you can treat, you can give one of them IVF, do you give it to the couple who have no children or do you give it to the couple who have one, two or three children? The advice into me, which I think is correct, is in a world of finite resource mm. where we can't do everything for everybody, you prioritise the couple where they don't yet have a but child. You can triage, which is what that is. You can triage applicants without necessarily excluding them, can't you? You can have kind of priority for those with no children without necessarily saying to somebody who has a child, well, listen, you have one kid, so you don't qualify whatsoever. No help for you. For this, really, we need quite clear protocols. Remember, we've never done anything like this before. And what I would say is, again, this is a this is a first step. It may be that a minister for health in two or three years' times is looking at a service saying, "We have more funding available. We we have more capacity to fund more cycles, uh, and therefore we're going to change the criteria." And remember, Kieran, there's there's a lot of different ways you could change the criteria. You could, for example, as per uh, the caller we just heard, you could say you, you can have you 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 can have three 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 previous children, or you could say we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna fund a second cycle, mm. right? You have to make these kind of decisions when we're when you're dealing with what is a what is a finite resource. Um, but I do really understand your caller. Um, there's another group, for example, where we're, we're starting with non-donor assisted. We will include donor assisted. So for an awful lot of people, what they've heard today will be really good news because they know they will qualify. They're desperately uh, seeking to have a child and now they may have IVF available to them. There's another group of people who are listening to us right now 
who will be very disappointed because they won't uh, fall within the current eligibility criteria. Mm. And all I can say to them is, I hear you and the government hears you loud and clear and we will keep all of these eligibility criteria under review. We have to start somewhere. And the strong advice from the uh, expert group is that this is where we start. So you'd reject Paul Murphy's assertion earlier. This is about the meanest way of implementing assistance for IVF possible. I have been in the dole with Paul Murphy for 12 years and I cannot recall a single time where he has said anything positive about anything any government has done. All right. Well, listen, Paul's not here to defend himself, uh, but he's here often enough so he can respond to that the next time uh, I speak to him. Um, I, I, I mentioned b- b- before we started having this discussion about IVF and this announcement today about a story we're coming back to a little bit later in the show. Uh, we've been covering it, as has everybody else in recent days, which is the safety of, of Dublin's inner city. So, you know, we, we had the Minister for Justice talking about uh, Dublin being a safe city. We we have, some of her cabinet colleagues seem to say the polar opposite, including some party colleagues of yours. Do you think Dublin's a safe city? I think broadly Dublin is a safe city. However, people are very understandably nervous based on some horrific assaults that we've seen. And two things have to be true. Dublin has to be a safe city and people have to feel safe uh, in Dublin city. It's an issue that Minister McEntee is taking very seriously. It's an issue that government takes very seriously. There is an additional investment in Angarda Shia I know they are working mm. at night and day. I know that Taoiseach was uh, discussing this earlier on today. So um, people get nervous when we see the sort of thuggery and cowardice and these these mindless attacks uh, that we've seen, and you know, the younger people are being talked about a lot, but you know, the perpetrators can be of any, can be of any age. Yeah. All I'll say to you, Kieran, is um, I'm I, I'm from Dublin. I used to live up on uh, uh, um, Mountjoy Square. Um, I, I spent a fair amount of my my time walking around Dublin City over over the years. It is a wonderful city, as with any city, particularly a capital city. There will always be. Uh, mindless mm. and cowardly assaults. Yeah, but I, I don't the think the government people, has taken this yeah. is taking this very seriously. I, I don't think people expect every street to be safe at all times, twenty four seven. You know, if, yeah. if you have a city with over a million people in it, that there's going to be problems. Um, you know, the village with a hundred people in it, there's going to be problems. Um, but do you think the problems have gotten worse? So that there's, you know, anecdotally certainly there's a feel that the assaults have become more vicious. And, and I know the Taoiseach as well today when he was talking about more guard resources. You know, talked about a sense that that he probably shares that the city hasn't recovered post COVID. That there was maybe a change in the city, you know, when when it emptied and it hasn't gone back to the way it was. I, I'm not. I, I'm I'm not sure. I heard I heard those comments from the Taoiseach. Um He he may well be he may well be right. I, I think what we've got to focus on is we've got to focus on a highly visible guard of presence. We've got to focus on engagement with young people. And ultimately, what we have to focus on is equality in our country and in our city. We have to have a country, we have to have a republic where, you know, people grow up with as equal an opportunity as mm. we can possibly manage to go on and lead a, lead a decent life. The, what, what, is, what drives this? Inequality drives it. Drug use drives it. You know, um, so we've got to... We've got to invest in Gardaí. We've got to have a visible presence. We've got to continue the work of government, though, in targeting areas of disadvantage 
you know, ongoing investment in Desh schools, which Norma Foley is doing, ongoing investment in Dublin's north inner city, yeah. and working with communities to make when sure you say, that people have yeah. opportunities. When you say ongoing investment in, in the Gardaí, the Tijek is well acknowledged, uh, it's going to be difficult to meet those recruitment targets this year. Should we make it a more attractive proposition? Should the Gardaí be paid more? And should GSOC have less oversight? I don't think it would be helpful for me to start getting into um, conversations about public sector pay. I'll leave that to Minister McEntee and to, uh, to Minister Okay, in, a, in broad Dunahill. terms, should, uh, should, should the prospect of a career in a Garda Shiakana be more attractive so more people will take up the offer? We need to understand exactly what people considering it do find attractive and don't find attractive. And as with any good employer... We've got to accentuate the things people like. We've got to meet people where they're at. Um, and if there are things, which of course there are, that frustrate members of Angarda Shia Kona today. oversight. I, 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 I don't think it'd be helpful for me to get into into issues like that around justice. But we've got to re, we've got to listen very carefully. But you were happy to bring. To our I didn't ask members. about education, and you talked about desh schools. Well, I, I referenced so, the ongoing investment. I, I don't think it'd be happy for me to talk about exactly the role of GSOC with justice. But we've we've got to listen very carefully to members of Angarda Shiakona. We've got to understand what frustrates them, and we know some of those things in terms of paperwork and so forth. And we've got to make the job as attractive as possible, not just for people coming into Angarda Shiakona but for our current serving members. Stephen Donnelly, Minister for Health. Uh, Minister, thanks a million uh, for coming into us uh, here. The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan. Weekdays from four on News Talk.